Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities in the organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Have a great episode for you guys today. Today, I am joined by Andrew Paff, and Andrew is the owner of 2% Certified Eco Wash Pressure Pressure Washing. Excuse me. And <clears throat> I mean, it, the, the company is kind of as it sounds. Uh, they do essentially uh, home maintenance uh, for individuals, and pressure washing is kind of where they've got their, their start. But uh, since then, they've, they've moved into uh, like fence and, and deck re, refinishing, resurfacing, things like that. But <clears throat> Andrew and I really get to, to cover a lot of ground in this conversation. And we get to talk about some pretty cool stuff, uh, specifically his introduction to the outdoors, um, his, ex, his kind of first exposure uh, to, to deer hunting, to whitetail hunting there in Wisconsin, um, you know, what that looked like. Um, his mom was actually the one that had, had taken him out on his first gosh, few years of, of hunting and was really the one that kind of pushed him to get into take his hunter safety class and then got him out into the, uh, into the blind to really kick things off. And Andrew tells a great story about, uh, the first deer that he was fortunate enough to shoot there in Wisconsin and, uh, you know, what, how to kind of, how he has been able to kind of curb his expectations, I suppose is a good way to put it. Um, after the deer that, uh, he shot on his real first go around by himself. And then from there, we, we get to talk about, you know, the, the business with Eco Wash uh, and, you know, Andrew for being a young guy, I mean, he's 21 years old, he's still in college. The, the business and the entrepreneurial mindset that, that Andrew has is, is really inspiring. Um, what he's been able to grow in three short years, especially starting this, uh, his business, you know, during the middle of a pandemic, knocking on doors to try to get people's business. And, you know, this was a time where in some places people were afraid to even answer the door if it wasn't someone that they knew. So the, the success that he's been able to have, uh, the team that he's been able to grow, um, you know, cause it's a seasonal operation. Um, but then also the, the training and everything that goes into what Andrew and his company are providing, um, for someone who's in college to, to put together a program like this, to offer, you know, college students, this, these internships and these kind of real world experiences at at such a young age between managing, scheduling, all this stuff, um, marketing, it's, uh, sales. It's incredible. It really is. And I think 
when you when you get to listen to you know kind of the business model and the way Andrew has everything set up um, you you guys will certainly gain a great appreciation for what it is that Andrew has built and then on top of that we get to as always tie conservation into it and you know the products that they're using and things like that and how they're trying to be you know just five percent better than their competition in terms of you know the the products that they're using and the effects um, or lack thereof that they're having on our environment so just a, a really super cool conversation um, one that you guys are, are definitely going to enjoy so episode 119 with andrew paff uh, enjoy Today's episodes are going to be brought to you by, first and foremost, my friends at Wild Rivers Coffee, where they are roasting in small batches so that they can ensure that your coffee is going to arrive at its peak freshness. Wild Rivers is a proud partner with 2% for Conservation, and they believe in preserving the wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. That's why with everything that they sell, a portion of those proceeds are going to be donated to conservation organizations that are near and dear to them. You know, So organizations like Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Trout Unlimited and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. So head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com, order your fresh roasted beans, pick up some sweet merchandise. They've got some awesome handmade mugs. Uh, subscribe today and you're going to save 10%. So again, that's wildriverscoffeeco.com. Today's episode is also going to be brought to you by Go Hunt. I mean, the West has already kicked off the season, some Midwestern states as well as some southern states that have already opened up uh, i mean we're we're in full swing of hunting season here we're mid september uh, and if you don't have a way um, to access offline maps you need to check out the mapping system by go hunt check out their explore membership it's going to get you all 50 states for 50 dollars a year it's an incredible deal no one else out there is doing that and if you use code average at checkout you're going to save 20 percent and you're also going to get $20 to use towards their gear shop. So be sure and download that and go out into the field with some peace of mind. Uh, check them out again at GoHunt.com. All right, Andrew, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, <clears throat> I know we've had to, I had to reschedule this a few times, so I appreciate you making some time on this Friday afternoon here. Yeah, not a problem. So... Andrew, before we, we really get into the company and everything, why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is Andrew Paff. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I've been a resident of Wisconsin my whole life. Um, and yeah, I own a company called EcoWash Pressure Wash, and we do some, some home maintenance um, services in the uh, Wisconsin and Illinois um, area. And you know, I'm really avid outdoorsman. Um, hunting, fishing, those are two things that I really like to do. Yeah, no, right on, man. So <clears throat> being a Midwestern guy like myself, I mean, has the outdoors always been like a big deal for you? Like, is it just kind of the way you were raised or was it something that you kind of got into later? Or what'd that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, my family um, isn't really that into outdoors kind of stuff yeah uh, i wasn't really exposed to it at a young age my grandfather um took me fishing maybe a few times when i was a kid but i just really wasn't you know exposed to it that much um but my family comes from uh, you know a lot of a lot of farmers my parents aren't farmers um but there's just a lot of access to farmland i guess um through my family my immediate and extended um family so I started going um, gun deer hunting when I was about 12 years old with my mom. Um, and we went for like four years, never really even saw a deer. Um, and then just randomly, um, it was actually um, my first time going gun deer hunting on my own. I'm pretty sure it was the first time. I hope I'm not, uh, not making stuff up here, but I'm pretty Sorry. sure it was the first time. It's good for the uh, story. Yeah, I think it was the first time I went gun deer hunting on my own. Um, and I just walked down below my grandparents' farmhouse, um, just standing in the woods, no tree stand, no blind, nothing, just leaning up against a tree. And um, this really nice 10-point buck comes uh, running up right behind me, and I shot him. And it was a great shot, and I was just, ever since then, I was just hooked. Um, so I was about 16 years old then, and started picking up bow hunting just that next year, because I, I got really into it. Um, now I'm really into um, whitetail uh, bow hunting. That's, that's kind of my favorite thing to do. And I'm really looking forward to the upcoming season here in about a week. Okay. So first off, 
people are going to be pissed at you, man, for that little that little story, that little intro into hunting, because people go their whole lives without ever seeing a ten point deer, let alone at at that young of an age, and that being your first deer, and really almost just kind of like happenstance, right? Like you just happen to park next to the right tree, and yeah, yeah it was great. I mean, it's the it's the, it's the great thing about living in um, in Wisconsin. I mean, we have great um, great hunting here. I mean, I know. Iowa is that big uh, yeah. dream state, and um, my grandparent my grandparents' farm is maybe thirty minute drive from the border with Iowa, um, so it's just kind of you know you're in that region, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great spot. So how, so it sounds like you kind of like cannonballed right in, right? Like you had this amazing first experience, and then just dove right into it. How has it been like managing those expectations, right? Because like I said, a lot of people you know, kind of wait or they're not fortunate enough to have an opportunity to buck like that till much later on in their life. You know, what is it, uh, has it been like after that, I guess? Well, um, right when I got my hands, um, you know, on the antlers of that deer, um, my dad was actually, um, there with me and he told me like right away and I, he was not saying this to be discouraging, but he's like, you'll never shoot a buck bigger than <laughs> That's what he told me. Um, and, you know, he's never really gone hunting in his life. So he wasn't really, you know, certain of that. But they're just, you know, no one really went hunting on on my family farms very much. You know, maybe an uncle would go every once in a while or something like that. But no one was really that into it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the next few years was just, you know, terrible uh, for me. Because I was figuring out how to get things to work. Um, and I really couldn't figure it out. And the nice thing is, is that um, those few years of failure in hunting, kind of similar to my business, those first few years of just like things not going the greatest um, was perfect because now that things are going really well um, with hunting for me, I, uh, I really appreciate it a whole lot more. And I'm, you know, I don't know, just things are a lot more reasonable um, with how things go. And, and now that I see a lot of nice bucks um, and hunting's doing really well, that's uh kind of been a blessing that things weren't so great those few, those those few years but uh the good news is that um it's absolutely certain i'm gonna shoot a buck bigger than that one um because i mean it's like a hundred ten inch deer or something it's not like something huge and there's a ton of nice bucks all over the property walking around um i have yet to uh get one in my sights but it's it's not gonna be that far away I, i'm certain of that it's just a matter of time right one of them's gonna slip up yeah, matter of time, exactly. No, that's that's great perspective to have, you know, now that you've had an opportunity to to kill some more deers and, and be more successful and even, you know, on the business side of things, which we'll certainly get into. But I think in order to really appreciate the success, like you have to go through those those tough times, right? You learn a ton more about, you know, whether it's business or whether it's hunting, you learn what not to do. I think probably that's as important, if not more important than what to do is what not to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, my first year bow hunting, I just put up a ladder stand just in the middle of this opening, completely exposed. Um, you know, I couldn't even move. I couldn't even blink if there was a deer kind of in that area. And, you know, during the rut, a nice buck would walk past and it's like, I couldn't even move, um, much less shoot the guy. So, you know, kind of learning stuff like that on my own, um, has been pretty useful. Just kind of learning how to, how to use the landscape and figuring out new spots. I've got this new spot this year that I kind of took a look at. Honestly, it's, uh, maybe a hundred yards away. Um, just kind of down this, this trail from where my first ever stand was bow hunting. Um, I put up one of those cellular trail cameras yeah. just to kind of scout some stuff. Cause I don't, I don't live Madison, Wisconsin is kind of in the, um, South central part of the state right? And where the land I hunt is, is, uh, you know, on the, on the far Western side of the state. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a two hour drive away from that stuff. So I put up those cellular trail cameras and it's just been an amazing scouting tool. Um, and a hundred yards away approximately from where, where my first ever bow stand was. I mean, we're getting nice bucks cruising through um, every evening, every morning. And, you know, that's a tough thing to manage my expectations for because I'm getting really excited, Marcus. <laughs> uh, I should be, I should be getting excited. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's been great. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. I had, a had a guy on from Wisconsin, uh, last week on my episode, uh, and he was, 
he was looking forward to, uh, yeah, I guess it's uh, just over a week away is when you guys, uh, your early, early bow season, early archery season starts. And that's, I'm always so envious of these other states that, that get to kick things off like in September, because we're, you know, we're two weeks behind, we're October 1st. It's not, you know, like it's that big of a deal, but like a lot of, you know, Southern states have kicked off like end of August, you know, obviously all the Western states are, you know, people are out chasing, chasing animals. Like I actually got a, uh, Garmin inReach text from a couple of my buddies who are out in Colorado and said they've got, they had an elk down. Like it's just, uh, it's making me kind of chomp at the bit a little bit here. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really exciting. I mean, um, this year is my first year ever going out West, um, going on a pronghorn hunt, um, in Wyoming and uh i'm psyched when do you go for when do you uh head out there for that so opening day is october 15th um so i'm playing i got two of my buddies we like did it as a party um kind of thing so we drew this year it's been three years now we've been applying and we finally got it so uh yeah we're gonna be out there opening day and we're planning for a, a three or four day hunt kind of seeing how things go but you know that's a hard thing to manage expectations for for sure because i have no idea and it, it's you know you read online or you watch, you know, the big, big hunters and, you know, they get it done in 30 minutes. Um, I have no idea what I'm walking into out there, but that's why it's first. You know? Yeah. You got to start somewhere, right? Yep. So, I mean, Andrew, you have a pretty cool story as far as like your journey kind of into the outdoors. Um, I mean, it sounds more or less like you were in a lot of ways kind of self-taught, at least after that, that first real experience. I know you said you had went with your mom and, and hadn't really seen a ton of deer, right? Just... You know, and I'd imagine at, you know, at that age, like it's probably just something that you guys can go out and do together, like spend some time, just enjoy, you know, enjoy the woods and things like that. It probably wasn't, you know, half as serious as, you know, the way you take things now. What has been your biggest takeaway from kind of getting into like hunting and fishing and things like that? Like just, you know, not growing up in a big outdoors family now that you're kind of totally immersed in it. What has been like your biggest takeaway or your biggest enjoyment that you get from, from either of those two things? Yeah. I mean, I find it really rewarding. Um, I find it a really rewarding thing to do because I had those original experiences where, I mean, my mom did a great job taking me out there and I'm extremely grateful she did, but we had no idea what we were doing. Um, there's a reason we didn't see any deer, you know, there's deer all around. Um, but you know, there's a reason we didn't see anything. And, um, you know, going through kind of all that, that challenge and, and that struggle at first, um, and then finally getting to start to see some rewards, um, more recently, uh, it's really just been something that I enjoy so much just because of the, uh, the challenge. And I guess the ability to see that over the years doing additional work, you know, getting smarter with it, um, doing some habitat changes. I'm very fortunate, you know, hunting private land um, with family members. You know, I can, I can plant an apple orchard if I want to, I can put in a food plot if I want to and uh, getting to see that stuff work and getting to tweak things to, to have things, um, you know, have more success. It's just been an incredibly rewarding experience for me. And I really, really enjoy um, just as much as, you know, shooting a nice buck. Um, I really enjoy just being able to know that just a few years ago, I could have hunted the exact same way I am now um, and seen less deer than I am today just because I've, I've put in that habitat work. Um, I've done all that scouting um, and I've, you know, gained that increased knowledge. Um, you know, largely, I mean, you say self-taught and you know, I guess a lot of people would say that's true, but a lot of it's YouTube videos and reading articles and looking into stuff like that, um, even more than that in the field experience. Um, and that's just been an incredibly rewarding experience. And I love filling up my freezer. Um, it's yeah. a, a good thing to do. I like doing that. Yeah, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's one of my favorite parts about it as well. But I really like to hear that, you know, the, the kind of the, the work aspect of it, right. The getting your hands dirty, the doing the habitat work, seeing, you know, kind of the, the fruits of your labor, right. Like seeing the, the, the population or the herd in that particular area really thrive. Right. And that's, and I mean, without getting, you know, um, to kind of without to really like, I guess, wax poetic about it, but like, that's, those are the things about, you know, people that, that hunt or, or that fish and that take a, a certain amount of pride in what it is that they're doing that I like to hear because 
you know, a lot of people will go out and, you know, they're not, they're not doing that work and, and maybe they're fortunate enough to hunt just, you know, an incredible piece of land and, you know, or maybe you're hunting public land where you can't do those types of things. Like your, your scouting game just has to be on point. Uh, you have to really know the territory, but if you are fortunate enough to have private land, which I'm, I'm in the same situation here in Michigan, right? I'm, I'm fortunate to have, you know, a good chunk of, of private to hunt, but you know, we do a lot of work on the land as well. We try to make that, um, as inviting, uh, as possible. Um, but it's, it's, it's a ever evolving process, I guess is kind of the best way to put it. And to, to, to see someone enjoy that, I I think they're, when they're doing that, like they, they really understand the big picture when it comes to, to hunting and conservation and everything that goes into it. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are similar to me in this sense. Um, but I, a few years ago, um, when I was applying for that Wyoming antelope tag and I didn't get it, I was like, oh, we should go do like some sort of, you know, outfitted hunt or something like that. Maybe go to Texas or whatever. And kind of the more I looked into it, I was like, man, this is terribly unappealing to me. Um, not because of, you know, the bucks are small or anything. They're huge bucks, way bigger bucks than I'm ever going to see, or not ever, but than I'm likely to see this season um, on, on my farm in Wisconsin. But um, I guess the biggest, you know, satisfaction for me really comes from doing all of that work and then getting to see the payoff. Even if the buck's half the size that I'd shoot on a Texas ranch underneath a feeder, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, just not for me. Yeah. Um, I really like doing that habitat work. Um, and the hunting is just kind of a nice cherry on top. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I like that, that outlook on it because you're right. I mean, different strokes for different folks in terms of, you know, what they enjoy or, or how they want to experience their hunting. I have like, if, if someone were to, you know, if, if you were to tell me like, Hey, you know, you know, I go down to Texas every year. I had a ranch down there. We sit over feeders. Like it's a great experience. We have a great time. Like, that's awesome. I love it. You know, you're, you're outdoors, you're out there, you're participating, you're doing it, but you know, doing the work yourself, so to speak. And, and having kind of a, a plan in mind, working that plan and then seeing that, that the end result, you know, with whether you harvest a deer or not, but if you're, you clearly have a a healthier herd and, you know, you're seeing a lot more, you know, nice, nice deer in the area. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one more question kind of about that or the, the whole hunting experiences. So not growing up in an, in an outdoors family, what was it that, uh, made your mom decide to take you out? Was it just, were you yeah. just like pestering her about it? Like, Hey, I want to go hunting. Like, can someone come sit with me? Right. Like what was that? Why, why your mom and why not your dad or, or your grandpa or, or an yeah. aunt, I guess. That's a great question. So, I mean, usually it kind of is like paternal kind of getting passed down from father to son. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's changing a little bit now, but I guess that's probably how it would have been when I was growing up. Um, for all my friends as well, that that's how it was for them. Um, you know, I was, uh, not really that outdoorsy of a kid or anything like that. But my mom, when I turned 12, she's like, all right, let's sign you up for hunter safety. Let's go to hunter safety. And so signed up, went to the class. Um, you know, I was kind of interested in the class and stuff. You needed an 80% to pass the test. And uh, I got exactly an 80%. Um, and she was just pestering me nonstop. Like you got to study for it. Got to study for it. Thought I was going to fail the test. Got the 80%, which was great. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really know what motivated her to take me out, but I think it was really that um, her dad um, and her brother were really into hunting. Um, And her brother was um, serving in maybe Afghanistan or Iraq. I I should know exactly where, but he wasn't around to take me hunting. Um, And my grandfather was getting really ill at that point in his life. Um, And so it was really kind of her. And my dad had never been hunting in his entire life. And, um, pretty busy with work stuff. So, you know, she decided to, to take it upon herself and I'm very grateful she did to uh, take me hunting for those first, you know, couple dozen times. Um, and despite the, the lack of success, I, I guess I just really took to it. Um, it worked really well. So, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to moms out there that are putting in that work with uh, their sons or daughters, and getting them in the field. And, okay. you know, without obviously, you know, knowing more about the situation or, or you know, even knowing your mom for that matter, my guess would be is that, you know, she, she pushed for you to do hunter safety. Right. And it's almost like she knew like deep down, like 
that that love for the outdoors was in there right like it just needed it just needed to be uncovered like that that itch just needed to be scratched a little bit and you know doing hunter safety and then she was like okay like you know that's probably thinking to herself you know that's that's one step like now let's get out in the field and you know if i mean that's to me that's kind of like a mom's mentality right they're going to do whatever they can to to hopefully help their kids be happy and succeed and she probably knew that you would really love it and enjoy it. So she's like, yeah, I'll just take them out. Right. Like no one else is, no one else is available to do it. So I'm going to step up to the plate and yeah, that's, that's a mom to a T right there. Absolutely. And you know, it definitely wasn't for her to go hunting because now that I'm able to see, you know, uh, almost certainly on like an early season sit, like there's going to be a doe or something or a small buck that's going to walk past a stand. Um, and I keep telling her like, you really should come with me. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take you hunting and we can get you your first deer. Cause she's never shot a deer before. And, you know, she just turns me down politely every time. And I, <laughs> it's just really not that interested in doing it. Um, like it really was, as you said, like kind of just for me, like she took me out because she must've thought I liked it. Um, but I remember her telling me when she was a girl, um, her dad would take her brother out hunting and she always kind of wanted to go with, um, uh, but she was never invited. So, um, yeah, I guess that was kind of just something that, you know, must have, she must've thought I was interested, but she clearly doesn't want to go much to my dismay. I wish she would yeah. come. It'd be great. It'd be great. Yeah. The student would certainly become the teacher in, in, uh, in that particular situation. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's great, man. I, I always really like to, to hear people's um, kind of origin story uh, as far as like the outdoors goes, because everyone is different, right? Some are, you know, from an early age, some aren't, you know, till later in their adult life or, or whatever the case is. But it's always it's always super interesting to me because, you know, the outdoor community, while, you know, it, it looks big. But, you know, if you're if you're on the outside, I mean, we're just such a small group of of individuals and the we have a lot of similarities, but we also have a ton of differences. Right. And that's to me, that's kind of what makes part of the outdoor community so great. It's just the the diversity that, well, the diversity is coming along, right? I think for a long time, it was um, kind of one particular way, but, you know, getting, you know, more, more females or, or you know, more races, I guess, involved um, is great because I think there's, there's something out there for everyone that they can certainly enjoy, whether it's, you know, hunting or, or fishing or, you know, backpacking or kayaking. I mean, the outdoors just has, you know, just a plethora of, of things that, that anyone can get involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> Andrew, tell me about eco wash pressure. Is it, yeah. Pressure washing. Excuse me. Tell me yeah. about your company, man. Yeah. So um, I started this company three years ago. Um, and really it was uh, kind of something I was doing on the side. I, I had a job and everything at the time, um, kind of working on that. And um, one of my buddies I worked with, him and I were, you know, I had a pressure washer in my garage and the work I was doing um, was I, I was a salesman for a painting company. So I was getting to meet a lot of people and see a lot of different things. Um, and I started to realize that, you know, I, I don't wanna compete with my employer um, and I'm sure I'm sure I, I would no longer be employed by them if I did that. You know, <laughs> You're well right. Um, so I want to do something a little bit different, obviously. So I started a, a pressure washing company and um, started doing that first year. You know, there wasn't really much to it. Um, you know, did a few jobs kind of closer where I live, stuff like that. Um, and uh, it was really just kind of a good opportunity to get to meet some people, get to make some money on my own, kind of explore entrepreneurship. Um and uh, just kind of you know, learn some new skills. I, I really had never pressure washed much before. I didn't really know what I was doing on that front. Um, and then kind of in the, in the coming years, um, I really, you know, scaled things up as I, you know, my, my knowledge um, has increased in the field. Um, now I really feel like I know a ton about the services we do. We added on um, deck and fence refinishing and staining services. Um, so that's a big part of our business as well now. Actually, this year, almost half of our business, um, which was surprising to me. Um, but yeah, we still stick with the pressure washing. Um, we do a bunch of, you know, deck and fence staining and refinishing work. Um, and now we've, we've grown quite a bit. Um, we're a seasonal business because we are in Wisconsin. You know, it's winter, seven months of the year, basically. Yep. Um, so we got five months of the year to actually do the work. 
but the nice thing is for me, um, I'm one of three um, people that, that sticks around year round at my company. I'm the only owner of the company. Um, but uh, during the summer, you know, this past summer, we had 36 employees kind of at our, our peak. Um, now through the winter, we're going to have you know, two and then me. Um, so that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, and, and over the past three years, things have really kind of scaled up. But it's uh, been similar to kind of my hunting journey where really a lot of it's kind of been self-taught because um, I really didn't have anyone to, to follow. Um, nobody in my family really uh, you know, has their own business or anything like that. So it's definitely been been a learning experience over these past few years. Yeah. I mean, and you, you look like a pretty young cat there, Andrew. I mean, what, how old were you when you actually started the company? So I'm 21 right now. So oh, I was, dear. I was 18 or 19 when I started the company. Yeah. So that, yeah. that entrepreneurial drive, I mean, that, that runs deep, man. If you're, if you're at, at that age already kind of looking at things in that kind of perspective, like, yeah you want to start something on your own, you know, and to, to grow it, to, you know, to scale it that much in, in just three years. I mean, that's incredible, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun. So how did you kind of start dabbling in like the, um, um, fence and deck refinishing? I mean, what's, well, I guess first, when you first start, let me, we'll come back to that question. When you first started off and you know, you're I did, my guess is that you probably started off with like friends and family, right? With like, is that how it worked or were you like knocking on doors? No, actually, no. Yeah. Knocking on doors is exactly how it was. Um, so I you know, moved to Madison cause I'm, uh, I'm just going into my senior or I just started my senior year at the university of Wisconsin, um, in Madison here. So I didn't live anywhere near home and None of my relatives, I guess I do have an uncle that lives kind of generally in the Madison area, but uh, that would only be one customer. So um, I really couldn't rely on friends and family because I didn't have any friends and not much family in the area. So yeah, it was knocking on doors. That's exactly what it was. Um, and, you know, got my, got my start there. I was very fortunate um, that I had worked for that uh, painting company doing sales before because... I kind of had some knowledge for how to sell home improvement services yeah on the home maintenance services just just due to you know my job there before i was really successful with that position as well so it was very nice to get to see how everything worked um and then you know applied those skills directly to uh to getting my thing started so yeah um that's that's kind of how we got things moving at first yeah knocking on doors to at oh, i mean there's a whole bunch of i mean at that age, I mean, granted you had, you know, some experience, um, mm-hmm. prior to with, with home improvement sales or home maintenance sales, but at that age, I mean, that's, that can be a bit daunting, a bit overwhelming. I mean, I think about, you know, coming out of college and, you know, having like a, a sales job to start with. It was just so uncomfortable for me. Like I like people, I like talking to people. Um, like if I would say like, if I had a sales style, it was, it was much more like suggestive, right? Like, uh, you know, like maybe this, maybe that, like what work, you know, what kind of thing works for you. And obviously like, as I've gotten older, I've, I've understood like the sales process a lot more. So I would be certainly much more comfortable in that, but that's, uh, that's a lot at, at 18 years old, 19 years old to, to kind of just start knocking on doors and, you know, pushing, you know, the business that you're starting that you believe in. I mean, kudos to you, man, because that's, that's not easy for anyone at that age. Well, I was, um, I got a little bit more comfortable with it when I was working at that painting business, but, uh, the nice thing about it that made it a lot easier for me was that I was really, um, confident in my ability to get the work done to a really professional manner, um, which was nice. And I was just kind of learning, um, you know, how to, uh, how to deal with customers and stuff like that. Nice thing is, is that the people that I was doing these, you know, bids for to, to give them prices, they wanted the service. So I didn't have to hard sell them on wanting it. They wanted it. They just didn't know if they wanted me to do that for them. So, um, it was kind of nice. It was, it was really more of an opportunity to sell myself yeah. to the customer than it was selling the service. Um, so it's not like I needed some sort of uh, sales magic. I kind of just needed to show up on time and be a responsible professional looking guy and, uh, not completely dressed like a slob. And I was good to go. <laughs> So, um, the nice thing is the services are so affordable, um, for the industry, just because they're smaller projects is that it's, it's not that common people go and get four or five quotes and I'm competing with all my, all the other businesses in the area of which there's, there's plenty. 
Um, it was more of, you know, if you give them a good price, they'll just move forward with it. So uh, that was good. Yeah. And you're, you're certainly right. Like being a homeowner and yeah. if people are coming around selling, you know, lawn services, pest control, you know, there's a whole list of things, right. That especially, well, at least in, in my neighborhood that people will knock on my door for. Yeah. And what I find is you're, you're absolutely right. Oftentimes it's, it's not so much about the service, right? Like when it comes to like, like pest control, for example, like I, I back up to some woods here. So I get like, you know, just your, your typical yeah. things. And the services are all going to be very, very similar, right? It all comes down to who actually knocks on my door. You know, like, are you listening? Like, if I ask you questions, are you listening to me? Right. And, you know, do I, in that, you know, 10 minute interaction, right? Do I feel like, yes, this guy or this gal can get the job done. I have faith in them. And yeah, you're right. That's uh, it, it really comes down to, to selling yourself on, on your ability to do the job the way that, you know, you're, you're portraying it. Yeah, absolutely. And it only gets easier every year for me. Um, I mean, this year I didn't, I didn't actually do any of the sales, uh, had a, had a sales staff take care of, um, all that stuff, but, uh, you know, it gets easier every year because business gets more and more legitimate as time goes by, just cause we have so much more experience with everything. And, uh, I mean, our first year, um, I don't really know the legality of this, but I didn't really have, I didn't have insurance, you know, cause I was just doing, <laughs> I was just doing a couple of jobs on the side. Yeah. I didn't have insurance. Um, I was just some dude that lived in the area that happened to have a pressure washer in his garage. Hey, right? you need your house washed. <laughs> exactly. That's really what it was. I didn't have like contracts. It was more of just like a, I'll do it for this price, shake my hand kind of thing. That's um, the Midwest, man. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it worked out great. Fortunately, I didn't flood anyone's basement or damage anything. And we actually haven't really done any of that uh, since, but um, you know, ever since then, it, it, it only gets easier because well, we do have insurance and we are a legitimate business and we've got, you know, just under 50 five-star reviews on Google and stuff like that. So it, it works out a lot nicer as time goes by. Yeah. And you know, when you were talking about, you know, it, it's not so much like the selling of the service that was mm -hmm. difficult or that was difficult, right? It was more about selling yourself and everything. And I'm also thinking about it from, from my kind of point of view is that, a lot of times, and the reason why I don't think people are going out and like, you know, comparing like four or five quotes or something like that, it's yeah. because they probably, you know, know your home, their home needs to be washed. Yep. They don't want to like put in the work to like seek out someone to come do it. Right. So when someone comes to them with like, Hey, like, or, you know, or do you need this done or do you need that done or whatever? And they're like, Oh yeah, actually I do like talk to me. Right. Like what, give me your yeah. pitch. And that's, that's gotta be real nice. That's why I love door knocking so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate door knocking. Um, I really don't like actually doing it, but I love the results I get from it because we're tapping into a customer base that our competitors largely are not. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of companies in the Madison area that do knock on doors, but in our exact industry, um, I really think we're the only one. And uh, it works nice because they're customers that know in the back of their mind they need it done, but they're not going to do the admittedly minimal work to type on Google pressure washing services near me or something like that. Yeah. They're just not willing to do that work, but they know they've got LG <laughs> on the north side of their house. Right. So when someone knocks on their door, um, they're, you know, they're inclined to just go with that person. So it works great for us because a lot of our competitors and there's nothing wrong with it and they have a lot of success with it spend a lot of money, put those ads on Google or Facebook. Yeah. I um, mean, and our marketing budget every year is zero dollars. Um, <laughs> it's all door knocking and, you know, flyers, which I guess is a little bit of marketing cost, yard signs that we put up in our clients' yards, stuff like that. So um, we don't spend any of that money on Facebook or Google ads and, and we, we get a lot of success. Um, I think door knocking is just kind of a great way to, to tap into a market of homeowners that they know they need it. Um, but they don't want to go look for someone. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great approach. I mean, kind of the, the bootstrapping approach with, you know, we're not going to spend money on marketing. We're going to rely on, you know, your employees to, to knock on doors, to, to sell the service, to, you know, sell, I guess, you know, the, you know, the 55 star reviews that you guys have on Google and, you know, maybe yeah. someone across the street you've done work for has the word of mouth or the referrals been a big part yeah. of the business as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, referrals were 0% of our business the first year, but yeah. every year that goes by, I mean, 
things get better and better, especially if you just do good work. Um, I mean, there's no reason to sell work that, you know, loses you money, but if you're selling work that maybe doesn't make you all sorts of money, um, your first couple of years doing work, but you know, you're still you know, earning a living out there. Um, it's going to pay dividends in the future because you'll be able to get those customers who will send you, you know, my sister wants this project done. My neighbor wants a project done all sorts of work. Um, and, uh, I don't know, it's been, I've been very fortunate in, uh, you know, the past couple of years to get those referrals. And as time goes by and as the company continues to expand, I'm really only expecting that to, you know, become more and more, um, just because we have more and more customers, um, every year. So works out nice. Yeah. Is the referral side of things, is that where you guys started to, to venture into the, the staining, you know, on fences and decks because someone was like, Hey, do you guys do this? Or do you know anyone that does this? Uh, like how, how did you guys kind of start to branch out your, uh, as yeah. far as like your service, your services that you offer? Yeah. So I mentioned that I worked for that painting business before and I didn't want to step on their toes at all. Um, and so I had a lot of experience as a professional painter not a, I guess I shouldn't say a lot. I'm going to offend some professional painters out there. <laughs> I had some experience as a professional painter, managing professional painting projects, um, you know, managed multiple crews, sold, you know, $160,000 worth of painting work in, you know, three or four months. So I, I kind of knew what was going on um, with that stuff. And deck and fence staining work um, is maybe 1% of my former employer's like business. So I really didn't feel like I was stepping on their toes at all and, and they didn't really seem to mind. Um, so I ventured into that because I really understood how to do those services. Um, and I understood that there was a, a large demand for it. And the really nice thing is, is that uh, both pressure washing and you know, deck and fence um, staining services are just kind of like backyard home maintenance that a lot of people can do on their own. They just really don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and they feel a little more comfortable with having a professional um, take care of that work because it just, it makes their life a lot easier. Um, so it, it's been a nice thing. We can kind of roll those things into one, um, because before you need to get it stained, you really should get it pressure washed if you want it to last the longest amount of time possible. Well, that's great because we do both. Or if we're out there for a pressure washing estimate, we notice you have a deck that's maybe in a little bit of a rougher shape. You can say, Hey, how about I just throw in a quote for that as well? And I'll just separate it out and you can take a look at it. Let me know what you think. Um, so it's been a nice thing because the same customers can get that done. It's not as though we're doing, you know, residential pressure washing and then we're also doing industrial vent fan pressure washing. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd be looking for totally different customers, have to set up a bunch of new infrastructure just to deal with that. This is a really easy add on for us just cause it's same customer and you can do it in the same quote because you're walking around their house. Yeah. And a lot of times with with things like, you know, refinishing a deck or refinishing a fence, right? Like I think about like the pressure washing, if you got to sand it, you know, and then the, you know, actually applying the stain itself. I mean, there's always, you know, the old fashioned way, like, you know, some sandpaper, whatever the case is, and then actually like getting a brush and like staining it and everything. And that's, that's super time consuming. If you don't have the necessary tools, which you guys certainly do, which makes the whole process quick and easy for them. Yeah, and the great thing is, is that um, our customers, if they were to go buy all of the equipment they would need for this stuff, it would end up likely costing them more money. It's like certainly if they valued in the price of their time, which they almost never do, but if they were to, they'd be far underwater, you know, compared to just getting up <laughs> out there. But let's say their time's valued at $0 an hour. Um, just buying a pressure washer and buying all the equipment um, all the accessories you might need and stuff. And then, uh, getting out there and washing your own house at that point, it's not worth it. Um, especially when you take taking, taking consideration of the risk that you have no idea what you're doing. Plus, that's a big um, one. You know, you can break your back if you're doing something ridiculous because you're 65 years old and you don't want to give up. Um, you know, there's just kind of a, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and, and it's nice for our company because we can feel good about giving people prices, um, because, it's going to be cheaper for them just to go with us. Um, so, so that works out great. And especially with like fence staining, I mean, using a sprayer, we can get a project done in a day that by brush. And I know because I've done it would take three weeks, um, like an, an outrageous amount of work. Yeah. Um, that's such a big difference. Yeah. 
So how have you been able to, to scale? I mean, I know you said uh, this, past, uh, this past summer you had 36 uh, guys or gals on your crew. I mean, how are you yeah. able to, to find you know, that many uh, seasonal uh, employees? So I'm fortunate because I have seven months of the year to figure that out because we have five months of the busy season. So right now, actually, um, starting Sunday, um, we're doing a little bit of a recruiting training um, and we're going to spend until March, um, you know, finding people and getting our crew set up. We do it in a really interesting way um, just because I'm fortunate enough to, to live in a college town and have a lot of access to college students considering I'm, I'm going into my senior year here. Um, I hire college students to do uh, the sales for me. And it works out great because they're respectful people. Um, you know, they're responsible enough if you hire the right ones and, um, they're presentable, they're intelligent and you don't need to lay them off at the end of August because they're going back to school anyways. Yeah. Their, their job's just done for the summer. So it's a summer job, um, goes into the spring a little bit as well. Um, just because we gotta, gotta sell some work before we get into the busy season. But, uh, yeah, we do it as a student internship. So it works out really nice. Um, this past year we had eight, um, interns, which were their official titles, division manager. Um, and, and what they do is they go through a really intensive recruiting and, uh, kind of screening process because it's a huge financial investment of mine to put into someone that I've never met. Don't know. Right. And a lot of, you know, employers would say, well, there's a college kid, like they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I, I put in a lot of money into these guys, um, getting division set up. A lot of them either move back home if they live in, you know, higher uh, population areas, such as the Milwaukee metro area, Green Bay metro area. Um, you know, Appleton. Yeah, Appleton is, we had a guy in Appleton this year. Um, you know, Northern Illinois, kind of the Chicago area. Like we're able to uh, send people back home, live with their parents, you know, run their division there. Or they can just stay in Madison. And there's a lot of work to be sold in Madison. So we had eight guys this year. Um do that they worked from april 16th until um pretty much all the work is wrapped up actually there's maybe a few projects left um as of right now which is september 9th so we're, we're pretty much done um and then they're just they're responsible for doing the marketing which is knocking on those doors leaving those flyers um doing the sales so they get a ton of training on how to do estimates um just because i've got a good amount of experience doing it I teach them how to do that. And then um, we teach them how to do the production aspect of things, which is getting employees hired to go wash those houses for you, go stain those decks for you. Um, and so they get an opportunity to learn marketing, sales, and management within the summer. It is incredibly challenging um, for almost anyone to go just go do that with no experience, um, but they take to it really well. And um, that's how we've been able to scale just because each division is kind of its own unique thing with its own manager. Um, and they just kind of go wherever they live. Um, the only real huge downside I see to that is that uh, we can't always guarantee we're going to be in the same markets every single year, year after year. Cause what if we don't find a good guy in Wauwatosa this year? <laughs> you know, there's no one in Wauwatosa then. Yeah. Um, then, you know, we had some there two years in a row and now we can't this year. Um, but otherwise it's kind of a nice way to, put everything into individual units. And then this year, um, based off what we're trying to do and, you know, kind of financially, what we think is a good idea, um, 25 divisions, okay. I think it's a really nice way to do things. Um, and, you know, take over Northern Illinois. There's a ton of work to be sold there. Uh, a ton of huge houses with, with homeowners that are looking to get stuff done. Um, continue across Wisconsin and, maybe edge your way into a little bit of the Minneapolis market as well. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of been our, our, our way to, uh, to get this going. Um, and people ask me a lot just cause you know, I am a college student and I'm hiring these college students, you know, once you get out of college, you're going to stop hiring college students. The answer is no, um, because it just works, works so well. They, they need the job during the summer and they aren't upset that they are no longer employed during the school year because they don't want to be employed during the school year. Yeah. Um, so works out pretty nice. Yeah. The way you've set it up with your business model with, you know, really 
recruiting, you know, like in this, uh, in this past, this, I guess we're, yeah, this past summers in, in this particular example with hiring, you know, eight division managers, um, and investing, you know, a ton of time and money into to training them the right way, letting yeah. them, you know, build their team. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's real world experience right there. Like all those things that you just mentioned and to get that at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, that's a, I, you're doing a lot more for those kids than I feel like their first job out of college is like their first real job, right? The experience that they're going to have, the knowledge they're going to have, the confidence that they're going to have, you know, going into whatever, like they're, they're set up, man. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, um, it's not just you telling me that they're telling me that too. So it, it feels good, um, doing that for them. And, uh, you know, my first, you know, real job was doing sales for that painting company. And I learned a lot of similar skills there as well. Um, so there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there, but they're not easy. They're not easy to get the job, not easy to keep the job, and it's not easy to succeed in that role at all. Um, but, uh, if you find some real hard headed, uh, individuals that are just willing to, to grind and they know it's going to be really hard, um, and you set them up for success and you teach them all the skills they need, you teach them how to do the marketing, you teach them how to do the sales, you know, really, really in depth with the sales. And then you teach them also very in depth how to actually get the work done and how to manage crews. And then you're just there for them, you know, a phone call away for the next three or four months. And you're going to be in their area, you know, once every week or two, just to work with them in the field for a day. Um, it, it's a nice environment um, for them to, to get to practice those things. Um, the only downside is they have to practice it in the real world. And if they mess up, it's a real project they messed up and it's a real client they got mad. Um, and, you know, those things happen, but honestly, it's, it's, it's pretty rare, um, that things go, you know, terribly wrong with each of our divisions. Um, they seem to do a really nice job, um, with everything. So I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic, um, for the future. Um, especially with all this, uh, recession stuff that people are talking about. Right. doesn't bother me. Um, cause started this business during recession, during COVID when no one wanted to open the door when I was knocking on doors. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever not been in a recession running this company over the past few years. Uh, I guess this summer was kind of a recession from what I hear on the news, but I didn't see it too much in person and uh, we'll see. But uh, no, I mean, it's looking good. And uh, yeah, I really, I really like what we do here. Yeah, no, that's great. Being, being passionate about what you does certainly, certainly helps with uh, getting up in the morning and getting things going. Yeah. So, so tell me, Andrew, how does conservation tie into everything that you're doing in the business? Yeah. So the company is named EcoWash. Um, so that eco really, you know, is, uh, kind of all about, you know, being eco-friendly. Um, and I'm not gonna, you know, kind of sit here and say that we're some sort of conservation hero and, you know, we do everything right. What we are is we're marginally better than the competition in our industry. Um, the home maintenance industry is not necessarily the greatest for um, options for everything to be super eco-friendly, but we are about, and this is an approximation, don't ask me how I got this number, probably 5% better um, than our competition uh, for, for the, the conservation stuff that we do um, in like tangible you know, activities. So um, the way that we have like our, our fleet of vehicles, everything is more fuel friendly, uh, I guess, you know, more environmentally friendly, um, less, you know, kind of fuel intensive. We don't drive around huge diesel trucks or anything like that, or even, you know, F-150s or something like it's, we're using cars, um, which works really, really well, or SUVs, um, which works really, really well. Um, the pressure washers we use, they are gas pressure washers, but they're incredibly, um, fuel efficient, which works really nice for us. Um, the chemicals we use degrade just in the salt and water after about 15 minutes, not table salt, some sort of other salt, but it's not terribly bad for the earth or anything like that. Um, after 15 minutes of use. So, so we do a good job on the chemical front, the paints and stains we use, um, you know, entirely water-based paints and stains. We do that just because there's fewer, um, VOCs, the volatile organic chemicals or compounds in there, um, which can be really damaging. Um, and the oil base, which is the other alternative, is just kind of a petroleum byproduct, or um, and, and it uh, just isn't the greatest. You know, if you spill some of that in the yard, like you're going to have dead grass for a long time. Um, or if you have a brand new employee and 
believe me. Um, this has not happened at my company um, that I know of, and I hope it never happens at my company. But at my previous employer, first guy, first you know, first day on the job for this guy, he pours paint, leftover paint, down a storm drain, which is just outrageous, oh, right? Man. But he thought he had to dispose of it somehow. He did that with oil-based. I mean, you would, you know, you could ruin kind of like an aquatic ecosystem. Yeah, um, it'd be a, a terrible thing to do. Um, with water-based, still a terrible, terrible idea, um, but you have less concern uh, as to what you're doing there. And once you dilute kind of that water-based paints and stains, um, you're really kind of in a in a safer area. Um, but um, the the chemicals, you know, the paint cleaners and paint thinners that you use for water-based is just water. Uh, for oil-based, you're using mineral spirits and all sorts of other petroleum byproducts to to fix that stuff. So um, you know, we really do a lot of conservation work um, or just kind of like lowering our carbon footprint and making it so that our pollution, both carbon pollution as well as um, pollution from the chemicals and products we use are more minimal. Um, that's that's kind of our, our big work within the company. And then kind of um, related to the company um, is 2% for conservation, which is um, something I really was uh, excited to, to get on board with. Um, so we pledged 1% of our time and 1% of our money, um, our, our total revenue to uh, conservation causes. So this year um, we uh, cleaned up a beach and a boat launch and um, did some like invasive species removal stuff, um, which was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, we're sending $4,500 to the National Deer Association soon. Oh, right uh, on. that's awesome. So it's, it's, it's great. Like over, uh, um, I might send a little bit of that money to a, a different organization as well. So, um, if you're at the national deer association, don't get too excited, but <laughs> $4,500 is going somewhere. Yeah, right? no, that's, that's incredible, man. So yeah, we're, we're, we're doing stuff with conservation. We hope, um, and strive just to be 5% better than the competition. Yeah. So how was it that you guys, uh, or I guess you specifically, Andrew learned about 2%. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the Meat Eater podcast. Yep. Um, and I was listening to old stuff. I was doing some woodworking in the garage, and uh, I was listening to a Meat Eater podcast that was like episode five or something, you know, <laughs> right at the beginning, it seemed like. And uh, just kind of going through the backlog. And someone from 2% for Conservation was on there talking about it. And it was really just perfect timing because my company was just starting to grow. And I really wanted to get more into you know kind of the eco part of eco wash you know i knew we were doing stuff but i just wanted there to be more yeah really um, lean into it you know and, and not not so much for customers because customers don't really seem to care that much yeah uh for, yeah they really don't like they just want a responsible guy to do the work and know what's going on and get the project done right so it's really mostly for me um why we do all this stuff um just because i'm so passionate in it and it's my company, so why not? Um, so, because <laughs> the boss said so, exactly, you know. And so, so the boss says so, and I'm the boss, so we're gonna do it. So, uh, I heard it on the Mediator podcast, and I got really interested. So, either the next day, um, or maybe a few days later, um, I emailed uh, Jared uh, Frazier at two uh, percent, and um, he got me hooked up, and uh, it's great i'm happy to be the uh, help to be a part of two percent for a very long time yeah no that that's that's awesome i've heard a lot of people who have said that they've heard about two percent through um whether it's like the mediator podcast um you know or uh randy newberg's podcast i've heard a lot they've heard uh, about two percent for there yeah. from there but yeah i like i like the 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 thought process right that it's it's almost more for you, right? Not necessarily for the customers or, you know, for the employees, but it's, you know, you're so passionate about deer hunting and the outdoors. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this because it's, it's what I want to do. It's the right thing to do. And we're just going to get on board and, you know, $4,500 for a company that's, you know, three years old. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And you should be super proud of that. Yeah. And I hope it keeps getting bigger every year. Um, I want to, you know, the 1%, I want to, you know, kind of, hopefully my company starts to do really, really well. And, we're getting into the, the millions in revenue and I can send 10, 20, 30 grand to, to some organizations. That would be a really kind of rewarding thing um, for, for me to do. So, you know, I, I hope it 
hope it keeps going. And, and I like that 2%, uh, you know, I, I like that it has to be 1% of re- you know, revenue every year. Um, because while undoubtedly I, I'd send money, um, now I, I really kind of have to make it 1% or more. Yeah. Um, Holds you accountable. Uh, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really nice. I'm, I'm glad I, glad I signed up for that. Yeah, no. And I'm sure that, you know, not only is 2% happy that, that you came on board, especially being the only company of its kind kind of in the category, but also, mm-hmm. you know, all the organizations, um, that are going to receive, you know, these, these donations and everything that you're giving, um, you know, and then, you know, the work that you're doing just locally there, um, you know, boots on the ground stuff is going to be, is going to pay huge dividends as well. So no, that's uh that's great to hear, man. Yeah. Um, Andrew, before I let you get out of here, man, you kind of talked about, you had the, the pronghorn trip coming up this year, yeah. whitetail season, early season opens up for you next week. Anything else that you've got on the docket that you're excited about? Um, I am extremely excited. Um, about getting after some whitetails here soon. Um, but other than, you know, whitetails and the pronghorn trip this year, I'm really not doing that much more hunting. I might, uh, might go after some small game or something, um, after I, I fill up some deer tags. Um, but I, I've got to learn, got to have someone take me duck hunting soon. Cause I really want to go duck hunting. Um, and I'm super excited to go ice fishing. Um, I've, uh, I've actually got this pond, um, right outside my house um you know a one minute walk which is nice um and uh you know there's some bass and some bluegills in there and stuff so kind of excited um just to go out there i'll probably take my sister or maybe one of my little cousins or something out on there and have there them go. fish but uh otherwise yeah ice fishing whitetails and now pronghorn this year um pretty excited that's pretty a pretty excited. good year man don't uh don't look down on that i mean that's for, I mean, for, I'm just chasing whitetail this year. And I, uh, a lot of people always kind of ask me that, well, you know, they tell me what they're doing. Like, what do you got going on? It's like, no, I'm just going to hunt whitetail, right? Like that's, that's what I got time for this year. But no, if you can put a, a pronghorn and a couple whitetail in the freezer, man, you're going to be, you're going to be living good through the winter. That's for sure. I hope so. I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about all of that. I hope it works out. But the good news is, is that even if they don't work out the way I'm intending, they're still great experiences. Um, and I'm sure I'm not going to go hungry over the winter either way. So yeah, I'm uh, feeling good. Absolutely. Andrew, if they, if, um, individuals are living in kind of the greater Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. Chicago or Illinois, maybe Minneapolis area, where can they find out more about eco, um, pressure washing? Yeah. So, eco wash pressure washing, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. So eco wash, um, us.com. Um, you can, uh, take a look there. Um, if you're in Wisconsin, ecowashwi.com, um, both of them kind of route to the same website, but, uh, you can take a look at, at stuff there. If you're a homeowner, um, looking to get some work done, um, we've got free estimates. We always have, and we always will. So, uh, definitely feel free to reach out. Um, if you're looking to, uh, kind of get some more information about our services or how we do it, um, keep an eye out on the website where, uh, I just wrote a bunch of articles about, frankly, some pretty common and some very obscure kind of topics about the stuff that we do. And uh, you can take a look at um, kind of the stuff we do and kind of the expertise that we have. Um, And yeah, if you're a student looking for a a really, really well-paying summer internship, that's going to be extremely hard, but you're going to learn a lot. um, Go to the website as well. Uh, You can uh, take a look at our internships page and you can apply on the website. You can read some articles about what that summer experience looks like, some of the skills that you might develop over the course of the year. So Ecowash, that's E-C-O-W-A-S-H-W-I.com. I'll take a look at stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, it's been a blast talking to you, man, hearing, hearing the story, you know, not only about your journey into hunting, but your journey into entrepreneurship and, and being a business owner. Um, I wish you nothing but continued success in the future, and uh, especially when uh, you hit the woods this, uh, this fall. Well, you as well. I hope you have good luck in the woods and uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Andrew, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, thank you again to Andrew for joining me today. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, Wild Rivers Coffee, Outdoor Class, and of course, 2% for Conservation. Please be sure to go out, check out, support these brands that support this podcast and help make it possible. 
And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media, where it's going to be only positive content, uh, excuse me, positive conservation-driven content landing in your feed. So you'll enjoy that. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to check out theaverageconservationist.com. Keep up to date with all previous podcast episodes, as well as grab some sweet merchandise to support conservation in the process. So until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.